Hi, this is Jack Chester. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Lounge. I'm here in St. Paul, Minnesota with uh, Josh Savage, owner of Uptown Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. How are you doing, Josh? Doing great, Jack. Thanks for having me back. You're here again to... uh, with some of your technicians mm-hmm. that are going through service system. How many guys do you have in the class right now? I want to say we have 12 people 12 in people. class. Wow, that's a big commitment on your company here. It is. That's it a is. Good uh, commitment. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, I want to yeah. talk about, um, we had already had a podcast out mm-hmm. that talked about your first couple of years in business, and you were real transparent about some of the, the things you went through. And you started mm-hmm. your business, and I'm going to frame it again. Uh, when you bought your business from your father, it was... Uh, one and a half, one point two million dollar business, roughly. So it was one point two million, I think, the year prior. And when I bought it, it was one point eight. One point eight. Yeah. And this was in two thousand ten. Correct. Right. And then today, your business in two thousand eight, the beginning of two thousand eight. What did it finish last year at? So we finished last year at just under fourteen million. Under fourteen million. Congratulations mm-hmm. on that growth. That's awesome. And in, in a short period of time. Yeah, with 65 employees now. Congratulations, yeah. right? Well, you were sharing with me uh, a personal challenge that's come up recently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and to grow as fast as you did, there's been a lot of, you don't grow easy. It's not mm-hmm. always clean. You know, you, you figure out life and management as you grow, as you scale the business up. But something happened recently, and, and you were sharing that with me. And tell me what, what that challenge you had was. Yeah, um, so I, I've lost – so the biggest challenge I've had or the most disappointment I've had over the years really is in the turnover. Turnover uh, employees. Turnover employees that way. And to be honest, I'm not real proud of that. Okay. A lot of things I'm really proud of in the business, but the turnover I'm personally embarrassed by okay. on that. And um, worked hard to create a company that um, people want to be a part of and that I'm proud of and that I can take care of people with. And um, it's one thing to lose people – it's one thing to fire people that I choose not to be part of the company. It's another when people leave the company to go outside of the industry or do right. something completely different and move out of state. Uh-huh. It's a whole nother level when you lose an employee that then goes across town t- to another company. It's the same, to, same job. Same job, same thing. Company. So yeah. they chose you or they chose them over you. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like um, – Going out with a girl and then having her leave you for another guy, kind of at that point. Okay. It, it's, been married it, a long time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, it's been an emotional challenge. All right. That so, way. so recently, yeah. you yeah. Let's not get into company names yeah. here, okay? But but you've you said you lost seven or eight mm-hmm. employees to a single company. Correct. Mm-hmm. Tell me what what was going through your mind when that was happening, and and, and what happened in that <laughs> in that. We we'll call it a journey, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's been a journey for about eighteen months. And uh, it, it's really gotten in my head and uh, was very bitter, very angry, very at this, company. at this company, at the owner of this company, and uh, just wanted to crush them. And right. uh, um, so as I'm going through it, and you, know, you lose one or two, and really it started with losing a, a real key employee who okay. is uh, very well liked inside my company. Um, and I could give myself the excuse that we also changed from uh, non-union to union at that okay. same time. And he did go to the other company, which is, which was a union company. All right. And, uh, but that's not the whole truth. That's an excuse. And, and so, uh, so you were using that a little bit as well. Of course he did that. It's not my fault. Yeah. It's I not my fault. Decision here, right? Um, and it, he didn't leave me because I'm a bad person or a bad company. He left me to go union and I'm glad we're done with that. 
kind of stuff. And so uh, you have that as part of the excuse. And But if you dig into your heart, you know, at least for me, I, I knew there was more to it than that. And that was just kind of like an excuse on the surface. And we lost multiple employees that weren't in the union either. They to went them. to the same they company. They went to the same company. Okay. So with him being very well-liked and uh, made it, and that he went there and was very happy, and people really respected him on a technical level and a personal level. And so by him going over there, um, uh, I, it made it very enticing for other people to go there. And so a couple of things that really exposed my weaknesses as okay. a company. So we had grown and we, we grew from being a, you know, a smaller company where I was very hands-on engaged with all the frontline staff and very well connected to growing a little bit distant. You know, we grew and we had managers now kind of between me and a lot of the employees. And I was very focused on the numbers because I had bills to pay, large bills to pay, and was focused on that and a lot of pressure on that. So we had a lot of scoreboards, a lot of reports, and a lot of numbers that we talked about. And it was no longer, I think in your words, from the heart, so to speak. And it was more about the numbers at this point. When I say that, from the, from the employee's perspective, the side of me that they got to see, the side of Josh they got to see was the number side. And, and, and you're a detailed guy, and that, that stuff comes to you, right? So, it does. I love spreadsheets right. on that. I also love people a lot, though, too. Right. And, uh, and typically I'm very engaged with the people, but during this time really um, became disengaged with the people because of all the other things going on. And the managers I had put in place um, – weren't the best at well they were new at it right they were new and, and they were good people it was they were poorly set up by me just just honestly on that yeah and uh it's not to blame them it's just i didn't have strong leaders in that place to kind of bridge the gap there and so uh the the employees were feeling that one uh disen- they weren't feeling engaged by me or engaged by the leadership so to speak that way um that two uh, they felt pressure for numbers and everything, more of a culture of numbers and a corporate culture. And, well, that then leads to kind of more of a corporate-like setting than this small mom-and-pop shop. Yep. Where before we're flying by the seat of our pants and literally how we used to – it's funny when you think about it. But when we used to go install a boiler, we would walk through the warehouse with a five-gallon pail and just scoop out handfuls of fittings and put them into the five-gallon pail. We go into a house typically with two to four five-gallon pails full of copper fittings and other cast iron fittings, pour them out on the basement floor, and we'd start putting the boiler together. And then we'd put it all back in the pails and throw it in the warehouse at the end of the day. No accountability. None. And so... As we grew, we started. From an employee's perspective, it's very efficient, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Just get what I need. It was, it was right? easy. Yeah. It, was, it was easy. And there wasn't a lot of red tape. There wasn't a lot of processes. And so now we become more numbers focused. We become process driven. You have to follow these processes. Probably put up some barbed wire or something, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But then you start holding people accountable to processes. Yeah. And I'll be honest, the processes weren't perfect at that time either. So now you got people okay. who are not used to uh, uh, processes or being held accountable and getting bad processes getting bad processes and being held accountable by weak leaders to bad processes with Josh behind the the, yeah and 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 numbers exactly Josh is in his office looking at numbers and putting them on scoreboards and emailing them out and you wonder why they were a little disengaged right a little pissed (laughs) you know I'm sorry but it's awesome yeah painting a great picture here 
I don't know why. Um, so, so with that, um, so I realized that, yeah. that, that that was a, a big piece for me. So the pain led me to really dig into uh, making my company better and stronger. Just so yeah, let me let me yeah. stop you there because what you said is that for a while you were blaming the other, the other company mm-hmm. that they were raiding your people mm-hmm. and it was their fault. Correct. Right. And then you had a you went non union at least on one side mm-hmm. of your business and of course you're losing people because you're not a signatory mm-hmm. anymore. But then non-signatory people were, were going to that same company. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that you reflected on what that company was doing well. And, and instead of hating them, you kind of had some admiration mm-hmm. at a certain level. Is that correct? You know, I, I really took the time to think about what I respect about that other company. Uh, so rather than just being bitter, angry, and frustrated and really wanting to crush the other company, is really thinking about, okay, what am I doing wrong? Just honestly here. Yep. And then, what do I actually admire? What do I what do I respect about and that this company person? that they're you're losing folks to? Yeah, yeah. And I spent a lot of time talking to other employees in my company and saying, "Hey, look." And I had a couple couple employees come back to my company from their company, and I asked, you know, I said, "So, just honestly, what are we doing? What are they doing better than us? What is it that draws people to them?" Yeah. And the owner's engagement was was one of the big things there. The other piece, though, that I didn't see that was a blind spot for me was a focus on craftsmanship. So not only were they focused on being union brothers, that was a real big thing, yeah. but the other piece was craftsmanship. Like, they were proud of their craftsmanship. Right. And like, arr, you know, and I'm like, I'll be honest, I became very disengaged with craftsmanship pretty early on. Okay. And the reason was, is my father was big into craftsmanship. And so, but he wasn't... Like, that was a crutch, I really felt. Like, and I, I, in technicians. That was an excuse to not growing or something? Well, yeah, to criticizing other people or why we couldn't do this or why we couldn't do that. They do crappy work, we not do that here, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then other technicians I brought into the business, I found that the people who I hired that were proud of their craftsmanship were slower than dirt. Typically, okay, and we're unproductive, and we we just couldn't stay in business like that, and so um, I became like craftsmanship. Like I, my thing was customer experience. Like, how do you make this customer feel during this thing? They don't really care that much about how straight your pipes are or how cool this is about what you actually did. They don't. They care about how you made them feel, and the craftsmanship only made up twenty five percent of that. Okay, and I just felt like techs just naturally take care of that. What they don't take care of naturally is the customer experience right. on that. So I really got hyper-focused on that part and really poo-pooed the craftsmanship. Okay. And just if I'm being completely honest. And um, what I discovered in the last six months really is um, techs want to feel proud of what they do. Yeah. And not only techs, but everybody. Yeah. And, and it's, it sounds so simple, stupid, but here's what techs, everybody, everybody at the end of the day wants to sit back and be proud of what they do. And, and the way I, I think of it is, is like, um, imagine you're a technician and you just got done installing a, a high efficiency boiler with six zones, three water temperatures, and a low voltage nightmare. And you purge out the gas, you flip the power, it fires up, and it works perfectly the first time. Every zone worked perfectly the first time. You sit back, you kind of lean back, you cross your arms, and you say, damn, I'm good. And really, I want every employee to feel that way, whether they're building a spreadsheet, booking a call, or fixing a furnace, 
or placing a water heater. I want them to sit back and feel, damn, I'm good. This pride in being really, really good at their craftsmanship. And that was something I was missing and something that literally in the last six months I really started to try and reintegrate into the company that way. And we really created it as, you know, one of our core distinctions of how what makes us a great place to work is mm-hmm. pride and craftsmanship. Because uh, what I found is is that people want to take pride in their craftsmanship, pride in the company they work for. Yep. And so here's the thing that I discovered about pride in the company they work for. The pride comes from being able to trust the men and women on your left and right. Um, the best example of that is, so imagine you got five install crews to put a furnace in. And so uh, next week, your mother needs a new furnace put in. And you got five install crews. Now, anyone with five install crews can relate to this. You might go over to the install manager and say, hey, look, uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we have Justin put this one in? And because you're afraid that if, uh, if Bob puts it in, oh, it's just not going to go well. You know, uh, maybe the craftsmanship, maybe the reliability, maybe he's just weird with customers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have – if you've got five, five in a trade or in a uh, particular job title, typically you've got a couple there pretty good, a couple average, one, maybe two that you're like yeah. – they're, they're placeholders, you know, for lack of better words. And you're like, well, if we didn't have them, we'd be screwed. Okay. Just being honest. All right. And uh, so the thing is, things I discovered is, is that – that Are you pla- settling for that? Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so that, look, I'd rather have better ones, but right now we're short people. Right. And if I don't have them, I'm going to burn out the other employees. Okay. The other thing is, is sometimes I've felt in the past that you had to have uh, some techs that could just run shit calls. And because you had to clear off a certain number of calls off the board every day that you couldn't feed to the top performers that you had to give to somebody. And if you didn't have them, well, a guy who, a real top performer, would have to run the crappy calls. Just, you know, that's Mm -hmm. just some thoughts. I'm sure a lot of us have had that way. Anyway, so long story short is this, is is that if you create a team of people, in the ultimate situation, I wouldn't have to pick who installs a furnace for your mother next week. That it's so that's a goal of your company. The goal now. of my company is is that regardless that we don't have to worry about who. So like if if your mother was going to call into my company, and Jack Tester's like, hey Josh, I'm going to have my mother give you a call, and that she needs a new furnace or work here or work there. I wouldn't have to worry about. I could I could have peace of mind that wow, I'm proud that no matter who answers the phone in my call center, Jack's mother is going to get an amazing experience. And then whatever service tech goes out there and runs that call, I know, I know he's going to get a damn good experience on that. And then the salesman and whatever installer goes out there, Jack's, Jack's mother is going to get a great experience on that. And so people want to play on a team where they can trust the people on their left and right. Okay. Because the other aspect of that is um, poor quality experiences. So let's say somebody screws up in the call center. So a CSR miscodes a call says it's this and it's that, or there's a booking error of some sort. Oh, and then somebody goes and runs that call. There was, there, there was a mistake by an internal employee on that. And it's like, oh, that's so-and-so. That's, that's Judy. She always does stupid crap like that mm-hmm. or what have you. Because not just the first time, multiple times, right? That Judy's the weak link in this, this scenario. But the opposite is, is let's say it's, it's, it's Paul. Paul is a rock star. Every time Paul answers it, everything's all of his details are right, whatever mm-hmm. creates good experience that way. And so if you have to clean up Judy's work, you're frustrated. 
if you're a service tech and you have to run somebody else's callback, yeah. it it reduces it, it lowers what you think of your company. Mm-hmm. It lowers what you think of your team. You think your team's weak because so and so is on your team. And if you see yourself as a top performer, you don't like playing on the B League, so to speak, that way. And if you think about like Navy SEALs or something, like an elite group like that, they trust the men on their left and right. Mm-hmm. They trust the people on their team at a very high level, and that gives them a sense of pride in the company or the organization that they're a part of. Got it. So that's in my mind where pride in your company comes from is the trust in the men and women on your team. So on you that. mentioned kind of pride and craftsmanship, mm-hmm. pride in the company, and then you mm-hmm. talked about what that, how that meant, what, mm-hmm. that, what that looks like, yeah. right? What else? It, so pride and craftsmanship, pride in your company – uh, trust in your team yep. on that. Right. Um, so anything that, else, that's a lot. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's key there. Yeah. Uh, the basics is, you know, so it's, it's good pay, right? Yep. Uh, it's giving people the potential to, to grow into something more. But not just potential, but a way to get there. So uh, a leader, meaning that a manager slash leader that – they directly report to that takes a genuine interest in them, is engaged with them, and has an actual plan to get them to the next level. Okay. So it's it's that's where the one to ones really come right. in. As cheesy as it sounds, no, it doesn't. That that one to one really is where the manager gets FaceTime and and demonstrates to the subordinate that he's engaged with them, right? Or she's engaged right. with them. And that's a difference maker right there. There's, right. there's real traction that takes place there in the level of engagement. Yeah. Because that's where you demonstrate you, you care right. on that. So this is interesting. Yeah. So, so through this, this turnover mm-hmm. that happened as you grew and as mm-hmm. your company transitioned, as you hired managers, as your role changed, as you lost some of, of some things that you might have had at a different level of mm-hmm. your business, yeah. through this reflection point, uh, the company you hated, you began to kind of admire a little bit. I don't know if I'd ever use the word necessarily admire, but the individual. Right. Um, there I were, get it. There was part of him that, as I dug into it, that I admired about him. Right, which caused you to go back and say, this is yeah. something that was always important here, but we've it's kind of drifted a little bit. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. You know, yeah. that this whole idea of craftsmanship, and not just in technical mm-hmm. snobbery, yeah. but it's just being extraordinary at whatever you're doing, yeah. regardless of the role, mm-hmm. whether it's technician, installer, booking a call. Mm-hmm. Entering an invoice, doing mm-hmm. whatever we're doing mm-hmm. here is that we're we're an elite group here. Mm-hmm. We're not going to settle for an average person, yeah. right? Is that is that what you're saying? Correct. Okay. Correct. And not so much selling for an average person, but working to get everybody right. up right. to that uh, level. Yeah. On just, that. Just not. Well, yeah. Just, yeah. I heard, but you said that you kind of reconciled that that you're going to have one bad installation crew. Well, I was resigned to that. And now as we go, this isn't like an instant transformation, honestly, but it's recognizing how cancerous that can be Right inside my company. The guy who causes the callbacks that everybody knows is the king of callbacks or or what have you, or that that department has a lot of callbacks or whatever it is, is cancerous. And, And so identifying how important craftsmanship is and how that's the anti craftsmanship is mistakes. Right. Got it. And then ex- and no longer being accepting of mistakes inside the company. Right. That doesn't mean that tomorrow we start firing people who it. don't. I get it. But it, it means that we start tightening things up. Right. We hold people accountable. We do more training. 
and we demonstrate that we're, we care about crap like this and that we're taking it seriously, not that we're just totally focused on revenue, 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 and quality is what it is, but just that it all matters. Yeah. Well, I, what I appreciate mm-hmm. from this message, Josh, is that mm-hmm. it's one of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. That that it's you know we we say that a, uh, an ordinary mind blames things outside of their control mm-hmm. for whatever's happening in their life, whether it's a competitor that's unfair or a union that's ridiculous or whatever mm-hmm. those outside issues are that that everybody has mm-hmm. you know you know weather whatever comes up right but a but an extraordinary mindset is such that that you look within for answers right just like mm-hmm. you've done I said okay how could I have created a business where these people that I didn't want to lose wouldn't leave. Mm-hmm. Right, you know that that it didn't sound like it was a pay issue, right? It was other things too, because you're mm-hmm. often great pay. I know you do, mm-hmm. right? And great benefits, right? So, interesting story. You know, there was one other thing I learned in that. Okay, and um, if it hadn't happened, we wouldn't be as strong of a company today. Yeah, because of it. Um, so it sucked. It, it's been painful, and it's not perfectly healed. Just to be very honest with you, there's it's still hurt still there yeah. on that. Uh, one of the excuses I gave myself early on is, is I wouldn't want any of those employees back. They're no longer with my company. So because I'd go through the list of people and say, well, realistically, I wouldn't rehire those people. And so I just thought, well, in the end, they weren't quite the right people for my company. But you know what the truth is. Mm. Is the truth is is those people with great management and leadership from me in my company in a better structure would have been successful because I have people inside my company who are at the same level as what they are for for natural talent we'll say mm-hmm. attitude and ability and stuff like that but that are successful in my company today because we had better leadership and management and structure for them to be successful in that the people who aren't here and are no longer here, didn't have right on that. So right. rather than blaming and saying, well, I wouldn't hire them back, right. and they were, they're just idiots anyway, yeah. is, is, look, the reality is is that you know maybe you've got people that you'd say that about inside your company today, but they're successful simply because right. you have better leadership, better management of those right. people. I always felt that, that I heard that excuse, and I've used it too, Josh, mm-hmm. just to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, that, well, I, you know, I, I was about to drop her anyway. You know, was, yeah. I was about to, yeah. he was probably going to get fired anyway, mm-hmm. you know. But I think we say that to, to feel better about ourselves. So so yeah. the hurt goes away, right? Yeah, Because yeah. you mentioned that when, when you lose a good employee, it's like getting dropped by a, a boyfriend or yeah, a girlfriend. Yeah, getting dumped right? at that getting point. Dumped, right? yeah. And so you start to rationalize, I didn't like her anyway, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, she was mean. Yeah, had funny hair. Funny hair. You know, it's been a long time since I've been dumped, but I remember those excuses, yeah. right? So. Yeah. That's awesome reflection, Josh. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to share about this right now? This is this is new. I know it's still mm-hmm. emerging in your company, and mm-hmm. this is coming together. Um, anything else you'd like to share? No, it's it's just trying to focus on the things that I have control of. Right. And really, the pain has really helped me focus on making it an amazing place to work. And uh, trying to, you know, it sounds cheesy being an employee of choice, but just being someplace that people really want to be a part of at a pretty high level. And it really comes down to engagement from my part and really listening to the employees about what's going on, the things they don't like, and then just listening to the crap that they don't like and allowing them to puke it out there then takes a lot of the toxicity out of them. You can then 
then you can there's certain things you, oh I want to fix that because that is stupid. We do things like that. And there's certain things that I can't fix and I can tell them. It is, I agree it sucks, but we can't change that. Yeah. And it just is what it is. But just listening is very healing Yeah, on that. And it really engages them, shows them you care, and really connects the team and keeps us tight. Well, you know, so few employees, Josh, um, get a chance to be listened to. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that especially in the, in the trades, mm-hmm. that, that they're out there doing their work and they're told what to do. They're rarely even told why, mm-hmm. and they're certainly not asked their opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, at at a, at a private level, because all most managers consider tech communication to be something that happens at a company meeting with twenty mm-hmm. people in the room, mm-hmm. right? And you talked about the importance of one on ones, and I think a one on one, Josh, is not only it's honoring of an employee. That mm-hmm. means that your time is worth me to be alone with you talking about what's important in, in your mm-hmm. job, and it, to me, it, it's an it's an honoring act. Not to, not because it's mm-hmm. a good productive act, but it also makes me feel that I'm worth something, mm-hmm. that that you care enough about me. So I think that's a great step. And I want to say something else that you've got 12 technicians here today that are in service system, and you stepped out for a bit to do this class. But you and also another manager are here observing and working and and showing a commitment and mm-hmm. being engaged in what they're learning in this three days here. And I think that's a great testament to what you're doing. So it's evidence mm-hmm. that it's not just words on a podcast; that it's action here in our office, and I'm, I'm sure your people notice it, right? They do. Um, tech training like this is something I'm pretty passionate about yeah. and something I really enjoy. And um, whenever you can demonstrate that you can do what, what they do every day, and uh, it, it's leading from the front, yeah. so to speak. The military is very big on that, is you know, leading from the front, demonstrating that you can do everything that everyone you expect Right. can do plus 10%. You know, whether it's physical fitness, whether it's uh, skill, set, skill sets or whatever it is that way. And uh, as a leader of the company, I, I can't do everything. Yeah. But th- there are times I can get out in front of them and demonstrate it. And this is an area that I can do and that I enjoy doing and I have the time to do. Yeah. And it's important, especially with the transitions that we're making and stuff like that. Yeah. It, uh, it definitely shows them I care. Yeah. And that... If I'm serious and I can do it, they sure as shit better be able to do it. Right. You know, right. they take it a lot more seriously. And they know they have to, each and every one of them has to test out in front of me. That's awesome. So That's awesome. Well, I, I said it in 2010 mm-hmm. when I met you. I'd bet on you. Mm-hmm. And I'm still going to bet on you. You know, still, uh, you're going to do great things and are doing great things. So thank you, Josh. Thanks, Jack. For your time today. And thank you all for listening to another episode here of Leadership Lounge. Thank you again, Josh. And uh, we look forward to giving you another one of these shortly. Thanks so much.